is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no preaching of the world, the people diminish. They diminish spiritually. They diminish physically. They diminish numerically. They diminish in their personal endeavors. Where there is preaching of the gospel and seeking of the kingdom and its righteousness and purpose and priority, every other thing, including souls, will be added. Heavenly Father, grant us the burden. Grant us the passion. Grant us, Lord Almighty, the unyielding zeal to see heaven again and again rejoice on account of a repentant soul who has come back to the Father and counted among the fold as you go preach the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. Grant your power will convict everyone here. Lord, go preach the gospel, the good news. Preach Christ. And as we go, your power will back us in the name of Jesus Christ. Salvation will be wrought in the name of Jesus. The signs will now follow us that believe. We shall lay hands on the sick and they recover. We shall also bite or tread on any handful object and we will not be hurt. We shall speak in their tongues. We will carry your presence to every situation and everywhere. And in whatsoever place you command us and set us on, we shall prosper to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says amen. And everyone says amen again. Please, you may be seated. The Lord bless you. Our team is go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In other words, make disciples of all nations. Our topic this morning is taken from Mark, the gospel according to St. Mark chapter 16 verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paraphrased to read and to mean, Go ye everywhere and anywhere and preach the gospel to every creature everyone and anyone. Last week, by the grace of God, we started on Goyi. And we said, who is giving the command to go? The captain of the team who gave his last command, which should be our first commission, Jesus Christ. And we asked, to whom is he asking to go? And we said, everyone who has encountered the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and has been washed in the blood of the Lamb and has acknowledged him as his or her personal Lord and Savior and who has been reconciled. And therefore, everyone who is a believer, the priesthood of all believers, chosen generation, royal priesthood, Holy nation, people.
peculiar people. Purpose that you might show forth the praises. That you might shine forth the praises. That you might send the light. That you might preach the reason why he saved you from darkness into his marvelous light. You might reflect the same light. We say it. Everyone upon whom heaven has given the mandate and the title that is greater than any other in the whole universe. Ambassadors for Christ. Praise the Lord. We ask the question again, where do we go? And he says, everywhere and anywhere. To all the world, to all the nations, to the thieves, to the galas, to the enigrazi case, to those who are within one area, to Nkana, to Nike, to Ngo, the strands of Enugu State, to everyone whom we come across in the course of our daily living, when we breathe in and we breathe out. No exception of all classes, of all social economic status, they are all within. Nobody is accepted. Everyone who is perishing is within your God-given parish. And we asked again, who should do the preaching? And we said every age group before the age of 10 years, First Samuel chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, the whole of Israel knew from Dan to Beersheba that Samuel had been said to be a prophet in Israel. And God never allowed any word of his to fall to the ground unaccomplished. Young age. Anna, for 84 years waiting for the salvation of Israel. Simeon, I have waited for this day. I have seen the consolation of Israel. A light to the Gentiles. Every age group. Every grouping. Outcasts. The women at the well of Samaritan who can't mix. The social case. Everyone. They are included therein. And then the only remaining plausible question we left to address fully was, Go ye with what? What do you go with? We have asked from whom? To whom? Where? Why? And when? We saw that was immediately. We left out the area of why? What do we go with? Go ye for what? What are you going for? That's the question that today is addressing. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creation, everybody, everyone, high and low. Go ye to make disciples as you preach the gospel. And the natural question would be, what is the gospel? What is the gospel to preach? If you don't know what it is, then there's nothing to preach. If you don't know what the gospel is, then you can put your own human philosophy. You can put man's tradition. You can put cunningly devised fables. You can put in Bagaba J, 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 Cock and Boo story. You can tell and camouflage. Those are parts of what people seemingly do when they are preaching. They're not the gospel. So what is the gospel? Number one, the gospel is what Jesus preached. And what did Jesus preach? 
The gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I hope you have your Bibles. Permit me to do something not too usual. If you don't mind, could you just kindly raise your Bible where you are? Could you kindly raise your Bible? Just raise your Bible. Just raise it. As you're raising it, I'm seeing it. But heaven is taking notes too. He's also talking about the seriousness of it. I'm seeing some people whom I guess their Bible is in their phone. And perhaps as we are going through now, they are seeking through the phone. What business have you to come to church without your Bible? What business? Does anybody go into the bank, go there without a checkbook or something to draw or to take? Does anybody go into the market, go there without a container with which to buy or sell? That is the number one mission. That's how prepared we are. May that never be your portion this year in the name of Jesus. And as you come, you are coming with your notebook. It's a school. It's a learning ground. It's a place of revelation as we pray it. It's a place where God drops a word in your heart and it can last for the rest of the year. The gospel according to St. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. So, the gospel is what Jesus preached here. The gospel is what Jesus asked to be preached. We just read Mark 16, 15. Go into the world and preach the gospel. And the gospel only to all creature. The gospel according to St. Luke 24, verse 47. There he tells us. And the repentance and remission of sins. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. What is the gospel? The preach. Let's look at Acts chapter 28 verse 30. The gospel is what Paul preached also in his phenomenal ministry while he was here with us. Acts chapter 28 verses 30 and 31. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No man withhold in him. What is the gospel? The gospel is the gospel of Christ. Romans fifteen nineteen says, We preach to you the gospel of Christ. It is the gospel of our salvation. Ephesians 1.13 says this gospel of our salvation. This gospel of our salvation. What is the gospel? It is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.14.15.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jews first and every other Gentile as well. What is the gospel? The gospel is the heart of the Christian message. 
The gospel is the center of the Christian message. The gospel is the central fulcrum of Christianity. That is what we preach. Beside it, no other. No other has the power to convict and to convert. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What is the gospel? Christ came to die for our sins, Christ was buried. He literally died physically and completely. Christ also did what? Rose again. And in rising, he defeated the power of death, the power of him who had over death, the devil, and the power of sin. So the gospel has the fact, if you want to put it in another stance, Christian, is that not who we are called? Is that not who you are called? And the disciples were first called Christians were in Antioch. Acts 11.26 Little Christ. In the sense of those who Christianoids. That's the real meaning. They were first called Little Christ. Because their lifestyle, they are living, they are preaching. Much that one of the man of Nazareth when they have heard about Jesus the Christ. And so, the gospel seemingly brings home who you are. Christ I am. Praise the Lord. Christ I am. Christ is at the center. And then I am means without Christ I am nothing. Christian. Christ center. The I am there that completes you and I. Without this Christ preached and lived out I, A, am nothing. That would be a central reminder of what the gospel and what the Christian life is. Christ died for our sins. He took our place. He took our penalty. He was judged that we will not be judged. He became our ransom. He became the redemption. He paid the debt. You and I owe the soul that sin Edisha what? die and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and there is none righteous no not even one even our righteousness is like what fill the ranks before God so he doesn't measure so we were due to pay the rightful debts of all have sinned he took our place paid the ransom with his life and with his blood shed his blood to redeem us and atone and cover for us. So the wages of sin is death. He did that. He paid it fully. He fulfilled that requirement. And then now brought us life. The free gifts of life. That he came by him. And when he did, he declared, it is finished. John 19.30. It is finished. It's fully paid. I have done it. Praise the Lord. So the word gospel... It's from the Greek word euangelion. Euangelion. 
the G is usually silent. E-U-A. Euangelion. Simply meaning good news. Message. And like we said, the gospel is not human philosophy. It doesn't make argument. The gospel is not human tradition or commandments of men, as Jesus pointed out several in the scriptures to them. The gospel is not calling devised fables. The gospel is not denunciation of men. Repent or perish. Repent or perish. There's some element of truth there. But the gospel is not centered on you will die. All of you who are listening to me now, you will die. Everyone whose voice is running there, you will die. You will die. It is not denunciation of men. The gospel says there is good news. We are all sinners. And we are doomed to die, not only die physically, but also die eternally, doomed to hell, eternal separation from God the Father, and in eternal punishment. But there's good news. Jesus came, he who knew no sin, bore our sins, took our place, paid fully for it, and now, you who were not a people before God, you can become a people of God. Praise the Lord. Good news, not denunciation. Not denunciation. So that gives us the fullness of the gospel, as it were. Therefore, every true preaching of the gospel, every true evangelism, every true administration of the gospel must have the gospel of Christ as its sole and only message. So, what is evangelism? What do we preach? What is the preaching? What do we preach? The act of preaching. What is it? Elmer Towns, in evangelism and church groups, gave us the nearest definition to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Evangelism, preaching the gospel, is communicating the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit to unconverted persons at their point of need, with the intention of effecting conversions, to bring them to repent of their sins and put their trust in God through Jesus Christ, accept Him as their Savior and serve Him as their Lord in the fellowship of the church as their disciples. And the Lausanne Convention. Lausanne Convention is usually the greatest gathering of evangelical Christians. And everyone who has the interest of preaching the gospel at heart. And they meet from time to time. Usually in Switzerland. That's where Lausanne is. Lausanne Convention 1974 did say, To spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures and that as the reigning Lord, he now offers forgiveness of sins and the liberation gift of the Holy Spirit to all who repent and believe. Technically, evangelism comes from a Greek word, evangelizo, simply meaning the process of evangelism, the process of preaching the word. It has a verb, evangelize star. That's Greek again, to proclaim, to declare, to pronounce. To propagate the good news. In the olden days, it was matched. That's how that word also was coined. For those of you who read much of civilization and did history in the days that history was still done and read, is history now done 
I think they're bringing it back. At a point in time, the Nigerian nation grew wise and said, we need no history. History of our nation, history of the world, history of where we are coming from, we don't even need eternal history. But God in his wisdom is bringing it back. Praise the Lord. So if you read much of civilization, you will read about Fidipides. The man who ran and ran and ran and ran and ran with the long legs to bring the good news of victory. That's the sense of evangelizer. Propagate the good news. So it was used in the context of those groups of a runner coming with news of victory, usually from the battlefield. If there was a defeat, nobody runs. The moment they see a runner, they know victory is there. And so that's why you will understand what happened in Second Samuel, where at a point in time, Ahimaaz, the son of Abiathar the priest, asked Joab, when Absalom was killed, do I run to bring the news to the king? He said, don't run. He said, I want to go. Second Samuel 18, 19. I want to run and bring news. It should be good news to the king. Good news of victory over his enemies. I want to run. I want to be the bearer. Job said, don't run. Cushai, run. Even though Absalom is dead, it's not good news to the king. So you don't run. Ahima still ran. Because he was a runner, a sprinter, he overran Kushai. And the moment the king's watch saw a man running, he said, Who is he? He says, That running is like the running of the Ahimaaz, the son of Abiata. What did the king say? He's a good man. He brings good news. So that's evangelism. That's evangelism. Anytime you are running with it, anytime you are walking with it, anytime you are speaking it, what is it? Good news. Hope for the beleaguered. Hope for the lost. Hope for the environment. Something better is in store. That's the key point. So the key points of evangelism, therefore, means that it is a process of communication. It has to be communicated. You don't just assume the people know. The message must be heard and understood by the hearers. Those who do communication tell us that you have not communicated until the hearer understands. And that's why I understand sometimes when you speak from the pulpit, you make announcement. The next 10 minutes after the church is dismissed, somebody is asking a question on what is in the bulletin. And I understand. And that's why we can be in a classroom and stay one hour and stay two hours. And yet the teacher or the lecturer has spoken and he has not communicated. But he has talked for two hours. Talked for one hour. So it's a communication. And the communication is only achieved when the hearer understands the message. So you can understand Romans chapter 10 now. From verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How can they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How can they believe on him in whom they have not heard? How can they hear without a preacher? How beautiful are the feet of those who spread the good tidings upon every nook and cranny and the mountains. How can they believe without a preacher? And how can they preach if they have not been sent? Thankfully, we have been sent. 
As my father sent me, so send I you. You are now ambassadors. So we have them all. And so the process of communication is that they are not going to understand the gospel. They won't look at your life alone and leave it out. And that's why some people who say, look, just live the good life, that's enough. That's enough gospel. It is part of the gospel. It's not the whole gospel. The gospel must be spoken, communicated. They have to understand the reason why you are living that way. That is not just the way your mother born you. It's not just because you grew up morally straight. You remember the rich young man? When Jesus says, you know the commandments? He said, oh yes. What did they say? He rattled them. He said, go and do. He said, all these have I kept since my what? My childhood. So people can mistake you. There are people in different other religions. They are even atheists. Who live ramrod streets. Who are the epitomes of truth. But they are not in the come line of the gospel. So for people to understand why your life is different from their own, it has to be spoken, communicated. So the target for preaching the gospel or evangelism is primarily in the main, the unconverted persons who have not yet heard or who has heard but has not yet accepted the message of Christ. Evangelism, therefore, is need-oriented. Meeting need. And mankind's greatest need, mankind's ultimate need, everybody's ultimate need, the divine vacuum that is there spiritually. Hi, hello. Baba, they got 1,500. I don't see many people with it these days. Circumstances are changing people's lifestyle living. The ones that I see many more do is the kaftan and the senator's attire. So sometimes you wonder who is really an ordained minister and who is a, a lay senator and who is putting on the gown. But whichever way they go, the mankind's and every other person's ultimate greatest need is what? Salvation and forgiveness of sins. To be reconciled with God without it. The soul remains restless until it finds its peace and rest in God. So did Francis of Assisi discover long ago. The intent of the gospel process, the intent of preaching, the reason why we preach, the key points from this definition is to effect, to produce conversions, decision for Christ. That alone. That alone. Not come join our church. Not be in a denomination. Not that place you are in is the weakest route to hello. The effect, the purpose, the message, the kernel is decision for Christ. So, and when that happens, the message produces through the power of the Holy Spirit, spiritual life, transformation that only the Holy Spirit brings about. No laboratory has yet incubated that. No scientist has yet discovered empirically. It is only heaven who makes a change inwardly that manifests outwardly. And so 2 Corinthians 5.17 Canaan says, If any man be in Christ, he is now a new creature. Automatically, all things pass away and all things become new. God regards you just as if 
you had never seen. That's another word describing justification. He wipes away the record and reckons with you as if you have now started afresh. That's why it's called being born again. Just the way a new baby comes into the world, you start spiritual reckoning, spiritual calendar. Now, a person, a child, a daughter, a son unto God. Praise the Lord. So, it was D.L. Moody, that renowned evangelist and philanthropist too, on one Sunday evening in Chicago, October 8, 1871, D.L. Moody preached in the evening of Sunday, October 18, October 8, 1871, without making an altar call. Without making an appeal for verdict. Some of us may be used to that. Appeal for verdict. That was John Edmund Haggai's way of putting it. Without asking for decisions for Christ. He did an eloquent thing that many of us do today on the pulpit, in any gathering, and even in locations. And when we finish, we leave the people hanging. The next thing they ask him to, what do I do? Just like happened in the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, what shall we do? At that point when they need a decision, you hang them high and low. High and dry. And just say unto him who is able to let us go. Amen. Some don't even pray in Jesus now. In America, most of the prayers now don't end in Jesus Christ. They just say to the eternal being, to the creator, Sometimes they just put God. But Jesus Christ is gradually or most certainly out of the picture. Is it where? That tells you the degree of degeneration. Is it where? So he preached and left them with beautiful sermon. No point to make a decision. Later that night, there was a fire in the city of Chicago that killed many, up to 20% of the population of the city of Chicago as at 1871. Some of whom we are at that crusade which he had held earlier in the day. He lamented. He said, opportunity I had to draw people to take a decision. They can't take a decision for Christ. They may also take a decision not to accept him yet. Because if you heard about another one, Judge Myler, he had a close friend whom he prayed for. Judge Myler died at the age of 63 years. He had a close friend he grew up with. And that close friend was not born again, but at least he was helpful to his ministry. And George Muller took it upon himself perpetually, continually, to pray for his friend, to keep praying for his friend, to the point that he should give his life to Christ. The friend never gave his life to Christ all through the years George Muller was alive. When George Muller gave his life, died at the age of 63 years, the friend surrendered his life to Christ. Mission accomplished. So whichever way, this is the point. So he made up his mind. I don't finish any preaching. I don't go anywhere without giving people an, an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. To give them opportunity to accept or still ignore him yet. Perhaps to accept him later. But that's the gospel. That's the preaching. Evangelism, preaching the gospel, is like one beggar who finds bread that can satisfy and joyfully goes, tell another beggar, come, I have got enough bread. 
The typical story we find in Second Samuel, Second Kings chapter 7, 6 to 9. The kings, the lepers, four of them were outside the city. The people of Israel, Judah, had been besieged by the Syrians. Day after day, weeks after weeks, they had gone into famine. To the point that they were now sharing even their children. In Second Kings chapter 6, a widow had complained to the king as he was passing by, lamenting the situation too. The king had no answer. Just like we see in our country as it were. The answer doesn't necessarily lie in those who are in government in power. The answer is usually with those who have an ear of God. You and I, if we play our role in the name of Jesus Christ. So when the woman finished complaining, Oh king, see my pathetic story. We agreed, me and the other woman, we agreed that yesterday we will bring her son, we will kill him, we will bring my son, we will kill him and we will eat. Because there was no more food in the land. Up to the point that they were eating dung, cow dung, to just get something into their system. He said, king, yesterday we killed my son and we ate. That was our food for the whole day. Today, it was her turn to kill her son so that we can eat. But she's reneging. She's going back. King, intervene in this matter. What was the king's answer? How can I help you when God has not helped us? That was the king who should have an answer. And then as pathetic as it was, Elisha, the man of God, brought an answer. He relief. He said, tomorrow, according to the time of God, by this time tomorrow, a barley... A, a pallet of flour shall save a penny. At this time tomorrow, things will be so cheap that you will literally have over to take. And then the Bible recorded that the man on whose hand the king rested. So you can be the king's right hand man. Call him the prime minister. Call him the chief advisor. Whatever he was, he was so close to the king that his words and his presence mattered. Do you know what he said? In Second Kings chapter 7 verse 1 to verses 2 and 3. He said, if you knew God were to open the windows of heaven, why would that type of thing happen? If God opened the windows of heaven, can it happen? He didn't hear before that God had opened the windows of heaven in the first time. Floods came. He didn't hear that God had opened the windows of heaven to the church in the wilderness. Manna came. Quail came. Now, that man was near the king, but was very far from God. And you can see the kind of advisors we have around. Elisha simply said, it shall happen. You will see it, but you will not be part of it. And the next day, this was a miracle God wrought. He sent a noise, great noise, great noise to the camp of the Syrians. And they said, look, the Israelites have hired the Egyptians, they have hired the Hittites to come and finish us. Let us better run when we have our life. They left their horses, they left their gold and silver, they left their spoil, the food they have been eating, to now keep Israel in famine, in bondage, besieged, and fled for their dire life. And then the lepers suddenly just said, Look, we have stayed here long enough. We are water to die. If we remain here, we die. If we go into the city, we die. So, let us fall into the hands of the Syrians. If they spare us, we leave. We have no other option. We've come to the point of death. And suddenly as he entered one of the camps, nobody inside. Food bracket. They ate, they drank. That's what the Bible said. Second Kings chapter 7, 7, 8. They ate, they drank. They got gold and silver. Trust normal human beings, even Christians. They went and hid. Went another one. They ate, they drank. 
Because it's free food. So everything must be me, my, myself. They went and hid. Until the Spirit of God, I believe, entered on. He said, we do not wear. Today is a day of good tidings. And we keep it to ourselves. Let us go to the king's household and tell. Friend, that's evangelism. A beggar who is in need, you and I, who suddenly found bread free of charge that satisfies for life. You have no other option but to spread the message as well. Where bread can be found, where life can be found. That's your rule. That's my rule. That's our message. So, evangelism, therefore, is not necessarily asking somebody, come join our church. Evangelism, therefore, is not necessarily knowing a Christian cliche. You know, sometimes you are confused. Praise the Lord. And then those who want to now speak that, praise the God. Praise the God. Once you hear praise the God, you know somebody is trying to belong. It's not convincing people to change from one church to another. Evangelism is not just being good to other people. Evangelism is not social works. It's not charity. Many people are indulging in it. This is the season of politics. And so once it reaches, many people become goody-goody. They send palliatives. And in a village, with many thousands of people, they will send four bags of rice. And say, these are for the youths. We love you. We love you. No. It's not some charity work. No matter how noble that may sound. Evangelism is not just a religious activity done by pastors in a church with a cross. That's what many of us believed. That's what those where William Carey was coming from believe. That's not it. That's not the preaching of the gospel. So what do we preach? We say what is the gospel? Preach the gospel. And then we say evangelism is a process of preaching the gospel. So when we now go to preach the gospel, the gospel is Christ. The gospel is the gospel of Christ. The gospel is the power of salvation. The gospel is good news. What do we preach then about Christ? We have seen what you preached about the kingdom of God. What is to be preached? We preach good tidings. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, The Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings. We preach good tidings. We preach the gospel of Christ. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus announced, The Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. And that's the gospel about him. And we preach Christ crucified. That's what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. Christ, sinless man, God who became man, came into the world, took the form of flesh, and died, crucified. We preach him crucified. We preach Jesus Christ. We focus on him. I have said before, and I think it's in our Bible study for this first half of the year, what is the gospel? Everywhere, from Acts chapter 3, at the beautiful gate, to Acts chapter 5, verse 42, to Acts chapter 8, verse 5, Philip then was taken up. And as he got into Samaria, he preached Christ. Acts chapter 8, verse 35, Philip, meeting the Ethiopian Enoch, preached from that verse to him Christ. 
Acts chapter 9 verse 20. Acts chapter 10 verses 42 to 43. Peter preaching at the house of Cornelius. They preached Christ. They focused on Christ. Anything that the people were doing, they will bring it back to Christ. They said, is he not that man of Nazareth? You are here, you men of Israel. You are looking at us as if we are drunk for the day. No, we are not. It is just 9 a.m. in the morning. We can't be drunk this early. But it is that which Jesus, the Holy One, promised. He promised right before time. Which had been the promise of old. Him whom God had promised. Whom you crucified is he whom the Lord has raised and exalted to now bring this whom you see. They centered on Christ. And as Romans John 8.32 usually they say, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. He will do the rest of it. That was the focus of the apostles. They didn't have microphone. They didn't have digital appliances. They didn't have loudspeakers. I'm not aware that they had uh, jets then. I'm not aware that they had also citrons and all flying class. The highest then was chariots. And in, even in England, by the time the Wesleys, by the time the Kamas, by the time those also joined in, it was on horseback. It was reputed that John Wesley preached up to 36,000 sermons in his lifetime and traveled several hundreds of thousands on horseback. They didn't have them. They had Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter would say, when he got into this, and John would also say, we have not followed cunningly devised sables. Second Peter 1, 16 to 20. When we made known to you the gospel of our Christ Jesus, what we saw, what we felt, what we heard, what we experienced, we preach to you. And once there's a witness and the experience, once somebody is speaking from the heart, whether it is preaching now, or talking in a meeting, or anywhere, you will usually know who is speaking from the heart, and who is speaking from where? The head. The head will fill you with knowledge, and will let everybody go in the element. They will brag, they will brag. They say, look, if he has all that much, I have more. If he has it, I has it too. If you can speak that way, I, I, I could do speak like that too. But when he speaks from the heart, the heart makes a difference. I'm sure you've heard the story in a concert of a man, renowned as it were. Literary story, it happened. And uh, they were in a concert. And they say, look, Samson Titre, a notable artist, was to recite Samson Titre. And he came. And did a wonderful performance. He did a performance that at the end the hall rose in ovation. Just recite Psalm 23. You know, they will go in accents. And then maybe this way these DJs speak. Sometimes they speak with their head, sometimes they speak with their ear, sometimes they speak before they think. And then I think that's what happened. The DJ or the MC, Master of Ceremony, suddenly, can anyone beat that? Can anyone be that? A shrill voice down there of an old man say, yes, I can. He was barely heard. And because the MC had thrown the challenge, he had to allow him. The old man feebly walked up to the podium and took up the microphone, barely audible compared to the orator who had spoken earlier on. And the old man recited Psalm 23 
in his own fragile, feeble voice. At the end of the artist's recitation, the hall was innovation. At the end of the old man's recitation, people burst into tears. Somebody has spoken, recited from the head. Another person had recited from the heart, out of experience. That's the gospel. That's what we are called to do. That's what brings the change. That's what brings the passion, as it were. So what do we preach? We preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus came to preach in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what he told us we should preach. We call it the curriculum. The curriculum is what you do to pass a subject. When you cover it, you have covered the subject. And he gave the curriculum of the Great Commission in Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 24, verse 47. He simply said there, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in the name of Jesus. Not our church, not our pastor, not a mighty man of God. And that's why many mighty men of God, if you remember some of the tele-evangelists, wonderful evangelists, Jim Baker, James, uh, what's the other letter one now? Pardon? Jim Swaggart. They are men. They are free. They present Jesus any day, any time. Those whose faith stand on him. Paul says, when I come to you, I don't know any man. I don't regard any person. I don't want to preach anything. All I want to have is Christ and him crucified. So that your faith will stand in the power of God. If the man is gone, you will remain standing. That's what you preach. That's what you preach. What do you preach? You preach the words. You preach the word. Mark chapter 2 verse 2. Jesus entered and preached the word. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort and instruct. Convenient or not convenient, preach the word. Don't use your knowledge. Don't use your wisdom. If Jesus himself, each of the times the devil came, one, two, three, using the word, Jesus had enough philosophy. Jesus had enough wisdom. Jesus knew and gave us an example. And he would say, it is written. It is written. It is written. And when you use the word... The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit will raise up what? A standard. The standard that the spirit uses is what? The word of God. That is moral material. That is arsenal. And so when you use the word, power by the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is a two-edged sword. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides both ways. It cuts between the soul and the spirit. It goes between the joint and the marrow. It knows the thoughts, intentions, and desires of the heart. And it hits there. And the Holy Spirit uses it to bring conviction. It's not the time to know your grammar. I told us about Miss Wigglesworth about a week ago. He was doing our uh, is was. I came down, come to do. I will be a uh, comedy. English was not his only right. Many people came to his crusades to take note of the grammatical errors. But at the end of the day, they will be convicted and they will be converted. They will come to say that man, that plumber who taught him, 
And he was humble enough to allow his wife teach him how to read and write. And he was humble enough to allow his wife minister to him the Holy Ghost. But the heart was right. Passion burning. And the Lord made him overtake the rest of his soul. Some of us remember late a brother, Dr. Beneme, of uh, Faith Clinic of Old from Ibadan. He came this way too. He said it was his wife, I guess. Either who led him to Christ or who was instrumental in baptizing with the Holy Spirit. That was the problem they were going to have. The wife knew he was going to be her husband. God told her. But he said, God, please make him bigger than I am. And God answered our prayer. So there's no excuse. We preach the word. We preach that which is Christ in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't preach self. We don't preach denomination. We don't preach any other gospel. Why do we preach? Why do we preach? Why should we preach? Why should you no longer be at ease a day going? Can I ask you, are you breathing in air and breathing out now? Are you breathing in and breathing out? Why? You want to live, isn't that so? You are still alive, isn't that so? Then if you are alive, the only reason why God still kept you alive when you are renewed and regenerated is that you will multiply. So that Genesis 1.29 physically is also replicated here. Produce forth. Jesus said in John 15.16, I chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you and commissioned you and ordained you to be my disciples that you may bear forth much fruit and that your fruit will do what? Abide. It's like an account. You don't draw in the bank when you don't have a deposit there. They will charge you more. So that when you ask me anything, your account will be speaking to you. I'm not sure you've read that passage of the scripture. Why do people pray for one year for a thing? And others may just pray for a day for it. So that tell God, I have a need of it now. It looks like Mark, John 16, 15 is part of the reason. I called you sent you as ambassadors for Christ so that you may go. The reason I brought you still kept you alive today, probably will keep you alive tomorrow, is that every day of your life, heaven may rejoice on your accounts so that you may go and bear forth much fruit. The potential is there. And that your fruit will remain. Then ask me anything. That's what happened in that passage. We don't draw one out of context. It doesn't work that way. We talked about low and with you always. It's true. If the Holy Spirit is in you, it's true. But in a more special and specific way, when you go, His power is fully available to activate. So it may just seem to me that for as long as you have said, cross your feet, cross your hands, bent your head, let them go ahead. And you filled yourselves with more reasons. It appears to me that that's a stumbling block to ask and you will receive. And know that I have seen people in the course of doing the gospel, preaching. Other things are what are dead. You don't stress your life adding them. If you find any minister, if you find any preacher, if you find any person laying emphasis on the material. You people are not doing well, oh. 
You people are not remembering that those who minister to you in the world, you should minister to them in the, in the physical. You people don't know that I'm your pastor, that I will labor for you. Anybody who is doing that is wrong. It's not scriptural. He's not getting it right. Face the main thing. Face the gospel. You won't speak for a day about your need. Before they arise, God is bringing them to come to pass. And the same thing in your other areas of endeavor. Other areas of endeavor. I shared about when I was a student. At least I rose as students. When I finished, I became, I qualified my exams. I passed part two, medicine, May 2001. And before then, before I got in there, nobody before me, in the, at least those who were there, I can count them. Many of them were brethren, born again too. They had stayed 10 years, 11 years, they had not passed. They had either been asked to go or they had changed. Some went to Federal Medical Center or more here. And others had to migrate to Lagos or Zipwea. They never finished within that period of time. They say medicine was so rugged. Medicine was too tough, especially in the National Postgraduate College. But that was the convention God gave us. And the reason I had wanted to read, uh, do residency, I wanted it outside. I told myself in my own wisdom, if I stay in the country, I might be preaching and preaching and preaching. And I will fail the exams. I have seen some of them who were doing residency failing many times. That I will be a reproach to the gospel. I don't want that. So I wanted to go out and do my residency. And God showed me mercy. He just made miracles happen to the last point. That is a long story. That I knew they just told me no. They circled the place. We are not sure you will come back. I came back and slept. I said, God, you've shown me that you averted every other miracle here up to the point of interview. Now I can rest. I didn't read for my primary well enough. I went for the interview on December. December of 1991, right? December. I had gone with my luggage. I was in Elori then, Ankuri Hospital. I finished youth service then. I had gone with my luggage. So that if the visa were through, I was to fly from there. So the moment they say that I came and slept and slept, a long sleep, carry my things back to Ankuri Hospital. Applied for primary in January. You asked me when did I read for it. And God helped me pass the exam. One of my friends who is here, a chief consultant here in Enugu, said when he went for exam, he saw on the notice board, because medicine comes before surgery, that Sam Ike was one of those who passed. He said, if Sam passed, I know he didn't read, God, he will pass me too. He had read very well before, and read and read and failed. He just came for that exam because he had paid. Talk less of now that the exam fee is 200,000, 140, 150,000. So he came there so that the money won't be wasted. He said, God, Sam passed. You will pass me also. And when he came and passed, he said, Sam, this was how it happened though. It was because I saw your name that I had faith to pass as well. So, and doing that, I was to start residency at Elor. They had called me, they had taken me. That I was convinced I was to come down here. And then, coming down here, the least person, 11 years, 12 years, even some who are there now, who qualified as a consultant. And I said, God, is this what you asked me to do? But I preached. I did the work of God. I did residency. 
the usual time within which you should finish, at least as at that time, I think they've extended it a little bit, from your primary to part two was six years. God made me pass the exam in five years, 11 months. I had become a consultant. I didn't contribute anything extra to it. Now, when I finished, some said, hey, you know you're from Anambra. Ah, your friends. Professor Vioike is the current, um, is the current, he uh, was a CMD now. Then at Inland, the teaching hospital. You go there. He will he gladly take you. He said, ah, Ebony is looking for people. But where God asked me to stay was there. He said, the man who is your head now, that auntie if it was the other man, he would have just been taken. Nothing megas. I knew what God had said. Kept doing the work. And then one day, the man asked me, that auntie just saw me. Sam, I heard you have passed. I said, yes, sir. I will do everything to make sure we retain you. That was it. When I was appointed a lecturer, I took my leave. I was on leave. And then I was there. The secretary to the office called me. You have an urgent letter now. I said, tell them whoever now that I'm on leave. He said, the provost wants you. I said, where is the letter? It's in the provost's office. Some had put in some other theories about whether you need to align to one group or the other. I won't talk more than that. And I came. The provost then drew open his locker and said, congratulations. Brought out an appointment letter as a lecturer. That was how I got the job. Friends, that's why we need to preach the gospel. Face the main thing. Face the reason why you are breathing in and out every day. The reason why God is keeping you. The other ones are their time. And before those who run rat race, he will add them in the name of Jesus. So why do we preach the gospel? We preach the gospel because it's a great commission. It's Jesus' last command. We should be our first commission. Why do we preach the gospel? And why should we preach the gospel? It's the supreme task of the church. That's the main work of the church. The frontline activity of the church is what? To preach the gospel. Every other thing that is done in the church is an addendum. Those ones look more glamorous. Thanksgiving looks more glamorous. Hey... Uh, opening and dedication of a house or church looks more glamorous. Worshipping, as good as it seems, looks more interesting. But above all, somebody has summarized, Rick Warren, that of all the activities done in the church, fellowship, as we gather, Bible study, discipleship, as we gather, make people disciple, digging, follow up, worship, as exhilarating as it is, inviting God's presence. Ministry, serving, activity units, doing this, doing that. All of them will be repeated in heaven. The only one that has no need to be repeated in heaven is where? Evangelism. Preaching the gospel. There won't be any need. This is the place, this is the time to preach it. And the people to do, you and I. C.S. Lewis, we know him. Roots. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, all the clergy, all the missions, all the sermons, even the Bible itself that is not proposing people to get to draw men to Christ. All of them are simply a waste of time. 
church exists to win souls. Remove evangelism, the church has no business to exist. And any church that is not doing evangelism, watch it. There are some I know. Watch it. They begin to fizzle. They diminish. And so when we are in school, one of our brothers then, he became the Bible study secretary by the time God gave us the grace to serve as president. And I knew one of his common phrases there was evangelize or fossilize. Evangelize or fossilize. Fossils are historical objects. Now, they existed once upon a while. Big animals that were seen by the sea. Over time, they became extinct. And so, he got that idea. Evangelize or fossilize. If you don't preach the gospel, you are going out of existence spiritually. And sometimes, if you don't care, even physically, as it were. The Lausanne Covenant on the Great Commission says, We affirm that Christ sends out his redeemed people into the world as the Father sent him, and that this calls for a similar deep and costly penetration. We need to break out of our ecclesiastical ghettos and permeate a Christian society. In the church's mission of sacrificial service, evangelism is primary. Evangelism is main. Evangelism is the major. Every other thing is addendum. is an adjunct before God. Why should we preach the gospel? Christ meant for the church to be missionary. Where we often quote when we want to pray, prayer of binding and losing, prayer of destroying and planting. Matthew 16, 17, 18. The gates of hell shall not do what? Prevail against you. Good. We use it for prayer. But what Christ meant there is that the church should be missionary. The church's chief agenda is to rescue men from the gates of hell. The church's chief mission is to go across the aisle, to go across the door, to go across the road, to go across the corridor. To go across the barrier to snatch people who are already the property of the devil and translate them from the kingdom of darkness into that of light. And the devil will not just be sleeping and allow that to happen. That's why evangelism is the most difficult task in the church. Today, up to today, because after today it will change in Jesus' name. Evangelism is still the least attended purpose or program in the church. Bible study, people will come. Prayer, hey, night vigil, back to sender, whether it's scriptural or not. People will come, crossover. Somebody wrote a text the other time and said, Thank God, who allowed us to cross over without a hangover so that we can take over. So every cliche will come in place then. And the prophecies, whether from God or whether from men, will come in place. But once it's evangelism, reasons will come. Excuses will come. That's why it's a warfare. And evangelism is warfare to the highest order and to the lowest speed of hell. That's the only activity where you go to snatch people from the hand of the captor. And the devil doesn't take it lying low. 
He sends sleep to you. He sends slumber to you. He sends lethargy to you. He sends like a desical attitude to do. He sends kid the one, kid the four to you. He sends to you, look, if they must change, it's not me. He gives you all the reasons just so that you won't go and depopulate him. To the point that we're also told, and it's true, that you can pray for 24 hours. But if your prayer is only you, myself, my family, my church, the devil is not touched. You are accessing God's goodwill for you. Nothing has happened to the devil. So you can pray for 24 hours and the devil is not bothered as it were. You can even do Bible study for a long while and it doesn't release in getting a soul from the hand of the devil. He's not bothered. But the moment that prayer results to a soul translating, then problems will result. That's why it's difficult so to do. Prayer is needed for evangelism. In proper missions, prayer is a pre-evangelistic activity. Many times it is also an evangelistic activity. The great success of Charles Finney is because of Father Nash. Praying a long while before his revival meetings. And praying through the period. You don't see him throughout the time of the period of revival meeting. He's somewhere groaning. Sometimes for a week or two, eating nothing. The great success story behind Charles Spurgeon preaching from 22 years of age at the cathedral, as it were. A man will come miles over to hear him was, he will say, where is your strength? He said, come follow me. He said, my strength is in the upper room, in the basement where men and women groaning in prayers. So it's a pre-evangelistic activity. It's needed all right, but evangelism preaching must still take place. Just like we have post-evangelistic activity, that's where counseling and follow-up do come in again. So, let's pray. But if we pray, we should also go. That's why Matthew 9, 36, 37, 38 and 1, Jesus said, the harvest is plenty and it's ripe, but the laborers are few. Disciples, followers, Christians, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he may send who? Laborers into the harvest. And they began to pray and trust Jesus. When you are praying, your heart is moved the more. When you are praying, passion develops. When you are praying, burden results. And it was those same people that we are beginning to pray that following in the next verse, Matthew 10, 1, he sent them out two by two into everywhere he was to go. Prayer will come. Prayer prepares the heart, but the preaching must be done. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, 1 to 4, we have a CV that is wonderful even for a Christian who has acquainted Christ. He was a centurion, a soldier, who should have little or no business within his church, as many around today will let us know. But Cornelius found time for God. Men gave him a CV that is still told today. Devout man. He feared God with his whole family. They were fearing God. He gave arms and he prayed always. Doesn't it surprise you? He still wasn't born again. In Acts chapter 10, verse 5, 6, he was told, With all you are, they have come up as what? A memorial. No matter how good any unbeliever is, all he does is like what? A memorial. What David will say, God, remember me. God, remember me. It's a memorial. His name hasn't yet entered the record and announced of heaven. It's a saint for Peter, Simon, who is with Simon Etana in Joppa. He will tell you what you ought to do. So there was prayer, 
but Peter still needed to preach. And so that's why we need to preach. We pray and we go preach. That's the order. That's the sequence. Even God himself is waiting. Psalm 2 verse 8. Ask of me the hidden. Ask me. Ask me. For your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your position. And I will do what? I will give. He's waiting. So that's prayer that bets it. But when we ask, we should go. Jesus asked to pray for those who were in the harvest. He sent those who were praying to go into the harvest. The going and the preaching has to be there. Why do we preach? God's concern is universal. There's that popular passage that we read, especially in burial ceremonies. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. It's good to see an aspect of it there. But look at another interesting perspective. What it tells you and I. Revelation 7 9. Almost every burial brochure would have it these days. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations, of all kindreds, of all people, of all tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Look there closely again. Look at that verse 9 closely. A great multitude which no man could number. Of how many? All nations. And nations again are all tribes. All language groups. All people groups. And he broke it down from all nations to all kindreds. kindred. And he went down. Obwe. All tongues. Ile di chiche. Ile ndingo. Diche ni ile ndezago. Obho nene. Ile ndezago. Diche nkendudi. Obho he ejioku. Ashibonshire. Nkendudi is different from nkendamechi. Jokwa. So God made sure that every tribe, every kindred will have a representation in heaven. What a largeness of art. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what is in play here. And then we will see again Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations of the world as what? A witness. So that there will be a representation from everyone. Your family will be represented in Jesus' name. Your kindred will have representation in Jesus' name. Apart from you, let somebody, some people else, be part of this great multitude. Because those who will make it happen are you and I. God's desire and intention is that no tribe, no language group, no tongue, we that's how the Igbo version put it. Is missed out. That's God. That's his universal plan. And we are the ones to bring it into place. Why should we preach the gospel? The concern of God is universal. First Timothy 2, 3, 4. Pray for kings also. And for every other person in authority. This is good in the sight of God. Who will have how many men? 
all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The love of Christ constrains us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, the love of Christ constrains us. You know, you may go to seek, uh, if it is for your own sake, if it is for your own bigmanism, if it is for your own title, if there is no other reason, it says the love of Christ that found you, which should be shed abroad in your heart for others, it constrains us to wit that if one died for all, then all we are dead, the representative dead. That those of us who live should no longer live unto ourselves, but live unto the bidding and command of him who died and rose again for us. Why should we preach this gospel? Because of the value of one soul before heaven. Because of the value of one soul. If you go to the gospel according to St. Luke chapter 15, in verses 4 to 7 there, you find the parable of the lost sheep. One sheep out of 99 was lost. To an ordinary shepherd, who was a hireling, who had no burden, he said, one out of hundred, nothing megas. He said, if I get you, boy, he would have counted it as insignificant. But this good shepherd had to leave 99 righteous sheep in quotes and go after one lost sheep. It was as important to him. In that same Luke, chapter 15, 8 to 9, in the parable of the lost coin, just one coin out of ten, but the house owner will sweep under the bed, bring light, looking for one coin. And then, in the main lesson, from verses 11 to 32, where we now call the parable of the prodigal son. One son was rebellious. One son was heady. One son was living in the times, jet age. Uganeketa is a new age. Unuokongo. Okongo resis. Your own time don't pass. Your analog. We are digital. One son represented that. Every example of what a son should not be. While you are still alive, make your will. Make your will. Share it. You should do this when you are going to die. And it should be read to us when you are dead. But I'm counting you as dead. That's the implication of what he was telling his father. So make your will. Divide to me what is my own. In actual fact, he didn't even need to have any. Because in their Jewish custom and tradition, the first son owned everything. It's a portion he gave him that he would have taken. So you can see how audacious and with impunity he would have arrived as it were. You can now imagine him in the present day age. He got it. But the Bible said even for that one lost son, the father was aggrieved. The moment he came to his senses and said, I will arise and go back to my father and say, I have sinned. Count me as one of your servants. The father himself ran a heart of love. One soul is all heaven is looking for. The transaction of heaven is only one soul. For one soul, Jesus would have shed his blood and he overpaid. The Bible made us know that the, the tongues brought blood on his head. The nails brought blood on his hand. The nails brought blood on his feet. The spear brought blood from his side. 
And even from the back, because that was where they gave him the 39 lashes, as it were, they were in cudgels. Blood everywhere. He overpaid. All he needed was just a drop of blood. And because the blood of goats and boots cannot atone, Jesus shed his precious blood. Even for one soul, he would have gotten to shed his blood. That's how precious one soul is to heaven. That's why he left his glory in heaven. So your salvation, one person's salvation, one person's conversion is more precious in heaven than any other. And that's why we've made this comparison severally before. Just take a look back, depending on where you are as a parent, when you had your first child. Can you relieve the joy? Take a look back to a student at any level when you had your first certificate, whether school living certificate or SSCE, first one, and you looked at it and it was your name. Remember how you felt. Take a look to when you had your first degree for those who have multiple degrees now. Whether it was the one that you read or the one that was awarded or some that were bought, they are all degrees. Cast your mind back to your first pay. First pay. First earning. Cast your mind back to your first contract. To your first sale. If you are selling, no, no, sir. Cast your mind back. When you could not say, this is my own. I end it. Cast your mind back to your first car. For those who have changed several. Perhaps to your first building. If you have more than one. Or the moment you finished and arrived and entered your own building. There is a way you sleep the first night you enter your own building. Am I correct? Take your mind back to your first appointment. To your first promotion. Perhaps to your first million. And for those who have different ranges, so your first billion. Because now we are counting in trillions. And very soon you'll be hearing zillions. How did you feel? With all this, heaven is not moved until one soul comes to repentance. Heaven is thrown into rejoicing. So my dear friends, souls are the only currency of transaction that heaven is looking out for. Every other thing, they fall below that. They fall behind that. They have been it. That's what heaven is looking for to gain. Three and I. That's why we preach. That's why we should preach. In order to bring joy to heaven. To be the harbinger of one soul coming into heaven. Can I ask you? Have you ever been instrumental to bringing one soul to heaven? Over the years? If you have not, you're a spiritual orphan. That's the truth. You're a spiritual orphan. You're alive, but you're an orphan. But it's got to change in Jesus' name. Okay, if you have, when was it last you brought one to him? When was it last somebody came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and heaven rejoiced and their light reds the way your own rings in heaven on your account? How long ago? It ought to be reenacted again and again, again and again. Again and again. And it can be done. Because the power is with you and I in the name of Jesus Christ. Why do we preach? And why should we preach the gospel? Because God has chosen to use you and I. Ambassadors for Christ. God has chosen to use man. Angels do not preach. 
For some of us who have been wondering, in First Peter chapter 1 verse 12, the Bible said when they understood what God was planning to do, they desired to experience it. And God said, no, it is not for you that it has been prepared for. Hebrews 11 also gave us an ink of that. But they could only look into it from a distance. They could only announce the good news in Luke chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. But they cannot and they will not. They are not meant to preach. Because they are ministers to us who are heirs of salvation. Hebrews 1, 6 and 7. They are messengers. They just say what they are done. They can't preach. And they still won't preach. Man, you and I must preach. God's strategy, God's method is man. Can everybody say it? God's strategy, God's method is man. Again, personalize it now. God's strategy, God's method is me. Because you poor man, it's okay, and they were men, Gabana. You poor man, it's a far man. Me, you. Ian Bounds. Many of us have read about him. Said, men are looking for better methods. But God is looking for better men. Men equipped with the Holy Ghost are God's best methods. And that's why we said before, as we read the Acts of Apostle, the methods are not better public address system. The methods are not better music. So we'll call, we'll call Chiamma Jesus the other day. We'll call Amara Jesus. We invite Frank Edwards. We invite Wes, we invite Enoli. We invite Chinedu. The methods are not better music. God's methods are men, you and I. The methods are not better clothes. And there are people today who in the morning, they will wear one clothes. In the afternoon, they will change. At night, they will change. So when you go on outreach, you will wear three different clothes. They say, look, he can't change. He didn't know. The Jesus is not poor. That's not the message. That's not what God is looking for. He's not in need of it. The methods are not building better buildings. The methods are not better vehicles to convey us. How many vehicles did they have in those days? They trekked on mines. They trekked on fruits. Amankano the other day, there's a point you reach, and we've gone there. No vehicle entered. Maybe it's a slightly better now. There's a gorge there. Whether you were with a vehicle or with a motorcycle, you couldn't enter. You just go barefoot across. God's methods are you and I. Men equipped with the Holy Ghost. Then you are ready to go. Why should we preach? There's only one sign before the end comes. There are many signs of the end times. Let's repeat it. We've done it before. Matthew, the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 24. Look at some of the verses there. There are many signs of the end times. And if you are still not aware, we are in the end times now. Coronavirus is a pestilence which is a clear sign of the end times. Plagues that have no answer to human medicine and even vaccine, and no man or no scientist has a hold on it until God allows it to be standing. So when you read Matthew 24, 7, you will hear, For nation shall rise against nation, a kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. That's where coronavirus COVID-19 or COVID-20 
and perhaps for the new strain, you won't be surprised to hear COVID-21. That's where they belong to. But look at that same Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 3. Jesus talking about the end times. He sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the signs of your coming? And what shall be the signs of the end of the world? That was the question they asked. Verse 6. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Beginning. Verse 33. You will also read there. So likewise you. When you shall see all these things. Know that it is near. Even at the door. Signs of the end times. And there are multiple. But the only one sign. Before the end comes. In fulfillment of the end time requirement is in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations and then shall the end come. As the gospel gets to every part of the world, the end will finally be there. And it's gone far. At the last count, I'm not too up to date now, but I learned that CNN sorry, TBN, has gone up to 195 nations of the world. And there are about 270, 210 nations now. So up to 195, if not more, can hook up to TBN. The Chinese, in their great number, because of their technology, you know, even when the state does not allow for such officially, they, in the confines of their homes, we are told, the good number of them in droves, are coming to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are an heir, we can't make categorical statements on that. But that's what Jesus meant. Immediately this gospel is preached to the end of the whole world. Then the end comes. Who will do it? You and I. Starting from our Jerusalem. We're here in Enugu. Some of our outreach experiences have informed you of that. We went to Enugu Ezike. I brought a Christian to Abuchi's place the other day. Oh, Gogoro. Is Christian here? You Gogoro. You can say you went to the uppermost parts of the end of Enugu states. We went there the other day for the burial of his father. And they are literally like Kogi state, as it were. And you will see the terrain in that area. Talk less about the other parts of Enugu Ezike. Talk more about Afibo. Where people of the other faith are now bona fide. Alaji, Godi, Abdurrahman, Alaji, Ukoye, Dankata, Alaja, Chioma, Ndeka Handu Nazaka Chupu, Ongwedendin Keyabu, Alhaji, Omalam, Chupu, Mohammed. And so long. And we must go. And we must not keep shots. And you and I will do it in the name of Jesus. As we come to the end, why should we preach the gospel? It should be a personal obligation. Personal. Personal. Not group. Not church. Not evangelism group. Not what evangelism. And even at that, many will find reason to dodge. That's the only day they have to dodge. 
young people will be running as if something is pursuing them. For a job, if you found Jesus, to go and share him with others, you should be jumping at the opportunity. You are driving away. Some will suddenly have an appointment and put a phone to their ear. It just shows what you do with even with the opportunities. A personal obligation. That's what we can read in Acts 20, 26, 27. Our brother Paul will say, Therefore I declare unto you today that I am innocent of the blood of any man. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole gospel of God. We we'll find him in 1 Corinthians 9.16 saying, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. Since necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Romans chapter 9. Paul said, I speak the truth in Christ. I lie not. I have great heaviness and sorrow of heart for my kinsmen, the Israelites. Romans 10.1 my heart desire and prayer to God is that Israel may be saved. They have a knowledge and a zeal, but they don't have the presence of God. Have you had that burden? Have you developed that burden? Even starting from your neighborhood. You know the toughest people to reach for Christ are members of your own family. True or false? If you've tried it before. If your lifestyle is other than Christian, then of course you dare not open your mouth. There's nothing to preach. Sit down there. But that's where you start from. That's where you carry the burden. And so let's start with that. If there's still any member of your immediate family, particularly for those surrounded that are not born again, your task is begun. I say your task is begun. I say your task is begun in Jesus' name. Travel in prayer. And let your lifestyle match what they see as a changed life. That's because of why they don't change. And over time they will. It happened to me. I first got born again in my family. The one who is a pastor now for 1989 to now. That's 32 years and counting. Immediately after university education. He gone to youth service and he's been there up until now. He was my junior and he's still my junior. But I remember preaching to him. He said, don't ever dare speak to me like that again. A junior brother to me. Family. Would I fight because of the gospel? He was so diverse. Just play a music now. He has crammed it. He will give you the dance steps. Get any electronic equipment. In the next one hour, he will pieces it and reassemble it. So gifted. But he had to rebuke me. I didn't give up. Shortly after he followed suit, we were roommates again in the university. My other brother followed suit. He took my parents' hardcore Anglicans. You know what it means. What are you going to tell us? We raised you up. We led you into family altar prayer. What is there for us? So that one is a hand knot. But in prayer, you will break through in Jesus' name. And to the glory of God, they had a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no excuse, my dear. None whatsoever. He took Christ to get somebody to get you. You must also get there and have a burden like Paul. My heart desire and prayer for Israel, for my family, for those in my class, 
For those in my area of influence daily is that they may be saved. Personal obligation. Personal commitment. And that's why he says in Romans 1, 14, 16, I am obligated to the gospel. I am a debtor to it. Both to the Greeks and to the Jews. To the wise and to the foolish. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Please. We are talking about carrying his presence. And you, in your trade, in your neighborhood, when your neighbor visits, when you are driving, when you are going on a journey, you are ready to discuss on any matter under the sun. The ones you know and the ones you don't know. You just be green. You are talking. Buhari did this. Buhari did that one. Erufai followed him. Erufai didn't go. Uh, Malani also did this one. What are these people doing? APC, PDP, FEFE, FIFIFE. You are ready to talk on them. The only one thing you have not been bold to say is your immediate needs, the gospel. And sometimes you go around every topic, the ones you are prepared for, and the ones the Holy Spirit will tell you you've gone over the boundary. And you never mention that one need. Is that not a waste of time? Is that not a waste of resources? Personal obligation. Paul says now, I am not ashamed. That means some of us are ashamed. You can't bring the gospel before a lecturer. There's once a revered professor. Revered professor. I hadn't become a professor then. I was just becoming a consultant. And there was something we were discussing. And when they are that high, he had been a CMD, he had been dean or sub-dean, he had been head of department several times over, renowned in his field. See here in Enugu. Ah, how do I enter? But I had something he didn't have. And as occasion beckoned, there had to be a talking to my professor, revered as he was, to note the difference and to continually have an opening. Today, he's changing. Maybe as man, I won't say he's arrived as a child of God, but I know he has gone a long way from where he was. So are you ashamed? Why should you be ashamed of a lifestyle? I preach, I lecture in the university, and I took notes. That what he said there is that now that we have found you worthy in learning and what? Character. We therefore confer on you this bachelor, this master's, or this philosophy, doctor of philosophy. So, who found him worthy? His lecturers and the university authorities. How did they find the student worthy in learning? Is it not by the exams you gave them and the tests you gave them and they passed? So you say, promoted to year two. No carryover. Even if you reached year four, final year, fifth year, final year, and there was a carryover from year one, will you go out of the university? They won't pronounce found worthy in learning and character. So it's by virtue of you who is lecturing, giving a space in the classroom that you find them worthy in learning. Do they find him worthy in character? Do they come to ask each person your character? Many of them belong to cults. They are found worthy in character. Is that not so? Many of them are K guides. Pami. They are found worthy in character. Isn't it so? So the same authority that gives me the mandate to lecture them in the classroom to find them worthy in learning gives me the same standing ground to also find them worthy in what? character. And what do I have to offer them for character? I preach the gospel. I preach the gospel applicable there. If we are talking about cardiomyopathy, for instance. Cardiomyopathy is heart muscle diseases. 
is very applicable to say, look, you know there are many cardiomyopathies. There are many heart muscle diseases. But there is a greater disease of the heart more than that of the muscle. Sin. Is it not lecture I'm giving? But I've also tried to find them worthy in character. And at the end of those lecture rounds, I make an altar call. I'm permitted. I'm paid to do it. To get them better in character. That's the base who are winning character. So why are you not seizing the opportunity? Why are you not seizing the opportunity of our table? Why are you not seizing the opportunity of your law court? Why are you not seizing the opportunity of your classroom students? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Use it, my dear. The power and the efficacy and the results we show in the name of Jesus Christ. Can I ask you? Yesterday, a brother was as if he had also um, uh, come in with me. Can I ask you, if you have your notebook, if you have your Bible and you can write in it, if you don't, then you will be challenged to get it more and more. Can I ask you to make a commitment? I'll be preaching to at least one soul. It will be hard to say in a day, but make a commitment. I'll be preaching to at least one soul every week. Begin from there. I'll be preaching to at least one soul every week. You can make a commitment like you did yesterday and say also, Lord, I want to win at least one soul to you every month. Write it down. It's a commitment. When you do, it binds you. It reminds you. More processes of formative learning is there. And you will go back again and again to it. Can you begin there? When you do and you find it much more easier, you will go beyond that in the name of Jesus Christ. But you have to do a beginning. I made that commitment. I wrote in a piece of paper. And I do it in my yearly resolve with God, as it were. I call it yearly milestones. It remains there. So every opportunity, lecture room, as I consult. By the grace of God, I have somewhere I get to just three times a week. So I say, look, I can't be seeing many patients and seeing them. They will say, that doctor is good. Oh. That doctor is busy. Oh. That doctor is this or that. Oh. What is that different from any other doctor? This is my own thought. And so in that place, Mondays and Wednesdays, one of our brothers who retired from a place of work, but is a body in evangelism, irrespective of the time I come, sometimes I come very late, the gospel must be preached in that place. Every Monday and Wednesday, from January when we start to December, um, altar calls are made, and people surrender and take decisions for Christ. Sometimes by the time they come into consulting room, they say, Doctor, I'm already healed. Doctor, I'm well. The other is an add-on. Use your opportunity where God has given you. You have them. Young people, you have your friends. Ubuntu, Manu, Chelsea, Arsenal, the Gunners. Jesus, let them know that's the one where your interest is now. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Text them. Send messages on that. Let them say, ah, they are. They are this year. Hallelujah. I'm carrying him. I want you to experience him too. Friends, 
That's a noble thing to do. Make that commitment and let the Lord of hosts and let him who gave you a commission and gave you the power to back it find the resources being utilized. And the joy will be yours. And heaven will take the glory again and again in the name of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? As you go preaching the gospel, this year will be your best all round in the name of Jesus. This year will be your best all round in the name of Jesus. I've told you what God does. You seek first the kingdom. You do his work. The things that others are running around, sweating, knowing who knows who that knows who, making connections here and there, having sleepless nights. The Lord, whenever it is time, and sometimes to your own ignorance, God decides the time. He allows them to follow you. They will follow you in the name of Jesus. They will follow you in the name of Jesus. The things that seemed impossible, this time try going to preach at Jesus' command. Do it again and again. Do it willingly. Do it wholeheartedly. Do it with a passion. Do it emboldened by the Holy Spirit. Leave the rest for him. You will tell the story of how it has gone. The best of all the years. To the glory of God. To the joy of heaven. And to our blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. There may be somebody here who hasn't experienced this joy. And I know as the message was going on, the Spirit of God was telling you, My son, give me your heart. My daughter, you haven't experienced this in the heart. You know it in the head by church going, but you don't have the experience. And he's beckoning you. I'm standing at the door of your heart now and knocking. As you hear, don't postpone. As you hear, don't rationalize. Just surrender. Shawuba has to pray. Shawuba has to pray. As Shawuba has to pray, the Spirit of God is telling you, you need to surrender your life to Christ. You need this message to begin with you. You need the light to shine into the dark recesses of your heart and give you peace so that you can speak by experience. You can have the peace that passes all understanding. Sins forgiven. Please, raise your hand where you are. No shame. Nothing to be shy of. I want this peace that Jesus gives. I want my sin forgiven. I'm a churchgoer, but I have a conviction this morning, and I want to bow to his lordship. Please raise your hand where you are. Thank God for you. If that light shines in their hearts, the darkness will go. Boldness will come. Witness and peace will come. Joy unspeakable comes. They will not be shy, even as children, as young people, as a middle-aged fellow, to pronounce the name of Christ. Anywhere, anytime. Please pray that that same spirit of Christ, that turns from old to new, will make a difference in their life now. All things passed away. All things become new. Father, we thank you for these ones. As they yield to you, young, not so young, Middle-aged, thank you as you move them by your spirit. Those of you who are here with all your heart, willingly. Some of you may have done it before. It's not okay. But as long as you have that conviction until you have an assurance of salvation, repeat this prayer right from the depth of your heart after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you. You love me. You died on the cross. You pay the price for my sins by shedding your blood. I am a sinner. In sin did my mother conceive me. My sins are before me.
I have not lived according to your will. I have lived my own way. Even at my age, I'm sorry. I repent. I return to you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Lord Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Give me the power to be your child and to walk and live for you from today. Thank you for hearing me. In Jesus' name I pray. Lord, as many as receive you, to them you gave the power to be your children, who were born not of flesh, not of blood, not of the will of man, but by your power. As these ones lying up here, of their own volition, as these ones lying up here, young, not so young, a bit middle-aged, they came, pulled by your spirit. Lord, let there be a conviction by the Holy Spirit in their hearts now, in the name of Jesus Christ. Let the old pass away. Let all things become new in the name of Jesus Christ. Let the witness of the Spirit that bears witness that now am I a child of God be made manifest in their lives, in their hearts, in their witness, going forward in the name of Jesus Christ. Give them the peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable, drawing from the well which you have welled in their hearts. And Almighty God, we pray, write their names in the book of life in the name of Jesus Christ. And seal them with their Holy Spirit as a redemption of promise. That going forward, they will be bold and they will be equipped. They will live for you. Their lives will tell the story of a life changed and imparted by you at their age. And to those who bring them into Constantine. Let your power reign them in. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us not grow weary.